Welcome to the penultimate day of September and another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a frequently produced newsletter and podcast that seeks to bring you information about the business of government in and around Charlottesville. The goal is to bring you access to the primary sources that drive all of the decisions, conversations, obstructions, and all of the other peccadilloes of municipal life. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, here again with the information you've requested. On today's program, a rezoning in Fry Spring for 170 units hinges on how to pay for a sidewalk on a road that would be more traveled. The Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia compares its population estimates to the U.S. Census count, a quick lesson in redistricting in Virginia, and the Foxfield Fall races will benefit Habitat for Humanity this year and for the next four. In today's first Patreon Field shout-out, the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign is an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, public spaces, gardens, farms, and the Northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. It's not too early to think about next spring. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them Lonnie Murray sent you. On this upcoming Saturday, the Foxfield Races will hold their annual Fall Family Day events at the tracks on Barracks Road, west of Charlottesville. This year, Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville will be the nonprofit group that will receive a portion of the proceeds as part of a five-year partnership. The races are held on land under conservation easement. Foxfield Executive Director Kelsey Cox said in a Habitat press release that they are overjoyed to create a long-term partnership with Habitat. Mark Lorenzoni of the Ragged Mountain Running and Walking Shop has penned an article in the September 25th Daily Progress that provides a lot of background and perspective as we wait for the 43rd annual fall races at Foxfield. Visit the Foxfield website at foxfieldraces.com for details and to purchase tickets. I think our, our line drawers might want to have a com comment about this. Too. The audio you're hearing now is a live stream of a meeting today of the Virginia Redistricting Commission, which has been meeting a lot this month to finalize a map for the 100-seat House of Delegates and a map for the 40-seat Virginia Senate. The 16 members consisting of eight legislators and eight citizens must finalize their maps this Saturday in time to meet a deadline in the Virginia Code, one of several deadlines. Their work began as soon as the U.S. Census Bureau released population counts from 2020. Further meetings are scheduled for this Friday and Saturday to be ready for the public hearings that begin on Monday. Coverage of what will be in those maps will come up in a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement later this week. The commission must submit maps to the General Assembly by October 10th. Virginia Code also specifies nine criteria for congressional and legislative districts. You can register to speak at the public hearings in advance at the redistricting website, virginiaredistrictingcommission.org. It's now been almost two months since the U.S. Census Bureau released the official population count for the country. That's given the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at the University of Virginia the time to make observations about how the results compare to the annual estimates and regular projections their demographers make. 
a blog post from Chanel Sen in the latest edition of the StatChat blog states that their projections were higher than the actual counts in 66 localities and lower for 67 cities and counties, indicating well-balanced results. The article explains the methodology used to calculate estimates and projections. 13 localities were in excess of a margin of error of 5%, including Charlottesville at 8.9%. Weldon Cooper's 2020 estimate for Charlottesville was 49,447, but the census count was nearly 3,000 people fewer, at 46,553. An explanation in the footnotes of the blog post states that many college towns are perhaps undercounted due to students leaving the area at the start of the pandemic. Weldon Cooper's 2020 estimate for Harrisonburg was 54,049, whereas the census count was 51,813. The Census Bureau's 2019 estimate for Harrisonburg itself had been higher at 53,016. The Census Bureau's 2019 estimate for Charlottesville was 47,266. A quick Patreon shout-out before we continue. A concerned Charlottesville parent wants to make sure the community participates in the middle school reconfiguration process that is currently underway. After years of discussion, concrete plans are being put forward, and City Council will hold a work session on October 4th. You can learn more and contribute your thoughts at the City of Charlottesville School and BMDO's information page at charlottesvilleschools.org facilities. If the population projections put out by the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia are to be believed, the area will continue to grow for many decades. The act of planning, as well as the art of land development, both take place in response to anticipated needs for places to live, seats in classrooms, and ways for people to get around. In several cases, it takes a legislative decision by elected officials to approve larger residential complexes. Here's Ned Galloway, the chair of the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors. I personally live in an area where many apartment units have gone up and they fill quickly. The question becomes, is the infrastructure there to support the density? On September 15, 2021, Galloway and four other of his colleagues voted in a 5-to-1 vote to approve a rezoning off of U.S. 29 for 332 units on property where the county's comprehensive plan has long anticipated growth and along a stretch of U.S. 29 where a $61.3 million road project was completed in October of 2017. The firm RST Development also agreed to restrict 75% of the units to households below a certain income percentage. Here's Supervisor Diantha McKeel, who also supported the measure. We um, talk a lot about how we're an inclusive and welcoming place to live. And this is an opportunity to, to create a place for people to live that have not been able to live in our community up until now. And here's Supervisor Donna Price, who also voted yes. It is part of our primary development area. And when you're looking at it, the development area, it is the area where the, there should be a larger concentration of lower cost, more affordable housing. 
Another legislative decision about this took place at a conversation in Charlottesville the night before, on September 14, 2021. That's when the Charlottesville Planning Commission held a joint public hearing with City Council on a rezoning at 240 Stribling Avenue in the Fry Spring neighborhood. Southern Development seeks a rezoning to planned unit development to build up to 170 units on about 12 acres of wooded land. That came after a directive at an earlier planning commission work session for the firm to increase the units in that development. Here's Charlie Armstrong, vice president at Southern Development. Planning commission told us very clearly you wanted to see something more dense and less suburban. Last year, the Fry Spring Neighborhood Association voted on a resolution that said they would support the rezoning if sidewalks and other infrastructure on Stribling Avenue could be built to handle the additional traffic. The current comprehensive plan designates the land as low-density residential, which is one reason a sidewalk there has not yet been prioritized in the city's limited capital improvement budget. Southern Development's proposal would set aside 15% of those units for either rental or home ownership to households making below 60% of the area median income. They also worked with the city's economic development team to come up with a financing structure to pay for the roadway improvements on Stribling. However, this novel approach also points to a potential disconnect in the process. Armstrong negotiated an agreement with the city's Office of Economic Development, where Southern Development would make a $2 million loan to the city to build those improvements. The city would then pay Southern Development back over a period of years out of the increased property taxes that it would receive. Here's the city's Economic Development Director, Chris Engel. I do want to be clear that this agreement is not part of the rezoning request, but it does impact the area nearby and is certainly of interest to many in the neighborhood. In its simplest form, this agreement stipulates that the developer provides up to $2 million in funds to construct the needed improvements, and that is uh, likely in a time frame that is contemporaneous to the PUD development. The cost estimate provided by Southern Development for the upgrades was around $1.6 million. City engineer Jack Dawson only saw the agreement and a preliminary design two days before the Planning Commission's hearing and said that the $1.6 million would not be enough because it did not contemplate the full extent of work required. My concern is probably that the, that estimate is a little light, um, to, to probably very light. <clears throat> it isn't just a sidewalk, it's essentially a streetscape because when you touch a road, you have to bring it to code. Code requires a 20-foot right-of-way, which Dawson said would likely require the taking of private property for curb and gutter drainage, which would add to the cost. Dawson cited an internal estimate created within the city of $2.9 million for the work. However, Armstrong bristled at the cost estimate provided by Dawson. That's not a number that I've ever seen published or ever heard, and we've been talking with the city and been in this review process with the city for uh, months and years, so I would have hoped that might have come up. Under the terms of the agreement, the city would have to pay anything in excess of $2 million, but finding those funds would be difficult. Earlier this month, council opted to transfer funding allocated for the West Main streetscape to the $75 million reconfiguration of Buford Middle School. Budget staff said that when added to the existing capital improvement program, reconfiguration would require a $0.15 tax increase next year, or less, depending on how the 2022 property assessments come in. Here's City Councilor Lloyd Snook. 
Right now, every penny we're going to have in capital funds until we figure out something else, every penny is going to end up getting allocated to school reconfiguration. The co-president of the Fry Spring Neighborhood Association appreciated the work that went into the agreement, but said it was not yet enough to satisfy his concerns. Here's Jason Halbert. There is a potential to find a solution here, but there's a big but, and it's about safety on that street and at the JPA intersection. Halbert said the agreement had not been fully reviewed by the appropriate staff. He asked for the project to be delayed while the details of the agreement are worked out. Commissioner Hosea Mitchell said he liked the project overall, but agreed it might not be ready for a vote. But I think it can use a little more baking. I, I think there would be value in in sitting with the engineers, sitting with um, the economic development people, uh, Mr. Engel, and working out the details and logistics so that we know exactly what this is going to look like uh, when we we're ready to move on it. Another commissioner suggested the city has to do a better job of communicating better internally about coming up with innovative ways to support density. Here's Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg. Endlessly frustrating to me uh, the degree of dysfunction um, within the city where the Economic Development Department is negotiating this agreement and isn't even telling NDS about it um, until literally two days ago. The issue comes at a time when new city management is just finding its feet. Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders has been on the job for less than two months, and new Planning Director James Fries has been in his job for just over three weeks. At the same time, the city is debating a new comprehensive plan. The current draft encourages more density across the city. Here's City Councilor Heather Hill speaking specifically about 240 Stribling. There's just no way to support this project without having a firm grasp of how we're going to provide these infrastructure improvements um, to the neighborhood. But which comes first, the rezoning or the infrastructure? And whose cost estimate is to be believed? Southern Development's $1.6 million or $2.9 million from the city engineer? City attorney Lisa Robertson had this advice. Leadership needs to put their heads together and talk about what's realistic in terms of whether or not from inside City Hall a number can be developed that builds upon the work that Mr. Armstrong's team has done or clarifies it. Another function that really needs to be updated, and that is the process by which we develop the city's capital improvements program. Robertson said the capital improvement program cannot be a wish list of aspirational projects. More developed projects with more concrete estimates would provide more certainty to all parties involved. At the hearing, the question was whether an updated performance agreement could be completed to further scope out the infrastructure and sidewalk project. Armstrong asked and received an indefinite deferral. Stay tuned to see how this works. City Communications Director Brian Wheeler sent in a statement to me that uh, they are trying to work out the information at this time, so stay tuned. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, part of our mad scramble this week to get as much done as we can before the end of the month. Um, I'm also hoping that that, uh, this burst of energy will inspire you 
uh, if you have not done so already to support this program. For today's show, what I would like to do is suggest that you make a monthly contribution through Patreon. Uh, that basically covers all of the research that I do in this community that 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 includes this newsletter, but also expands it out and just sort of uh, covers a lot of other ground. You can see that in a link in the newsletter. At different levels, you get different tiers of uh, perks and things. Um, for $5, you get a comped subscription to this newsletter. Uh, for $10, you get a weekly Sonic Week Ahead and other experimental audio programs that... Um, that I'd like to put out more of, and I'll get there. For $25, you get four shout-outs a month, which is the things that you hear as the public service announcements, um, and you know, there's all sorts of things we can do about that. All of it comes together to uh, indicate your support for this information, um, and helping to fund me as I go through um, all of these meetings, uh, day in, day out, really enjoying the work. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of Charlottesville Community Engagement and the president of Town Crier Productions, putting in a plug for the City Council Forum uh, that I'm doing with the Free Enterprise Forum tomorrow night. There will be a link in the newsletter. I'll be back tomorrow with another installment of the show. In the meantime, stay safe out there and, uh, you know, um, uh, think, think a few things. 